Hi everybody, thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Drink, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink. I have got Wayne Waters with me today. He is the author of The Psychology of Leadership and a good friend of mine. And so we're here, we're going to talk about leadership a little bit and maybe like more of the failure of leadership, but kind of at the big level. But question for you first, Wayne, what are we drinking for this conversation? Well, I am traveling this week. So uh, my drink choice was what was available at the gas station. So <laughs> today it's it's a blue moon. <laughs> well, that's not bad. It no, be, no, no, no. It could be worse. Beer. I like it. I thought you were going to say. This is mango, mango wheat. Oh, so that sounds good. It's a little fruity. Not uh-huh. my usual beer, but it's all right. Huh. I thought you were going to say. And what, what are you, you drinking? Wait, well, I'm drinking my usual wine because. Well done. I couldn't get. <laughs> I, I I just couldn't think of anything new to today. So that's it. It's wine. It's wine. Um, there you go. Uh, okay, so psychology of leadership, and I know that yes, man really focuses on individuals and how to be a leader you know more like individual in the workplace but you really go into a lot of the true psychology of leadership not only your own personal experience with leaders or as being a leader as training leaders which is what you're on the road doing right now I'm guessing and so um mm-hmm. more or less <laughs> yeah um I I do a, a lot of things so it's it's kind of a a, a catch-all shop that I work with. So it's pretty fantastic from leadership training, leadership coaching, development, uh, but then also testing and controls work. So it's a pretty broad spectrum. Well, can you, do you feel like you can, I feel like one of our biggest problems right now in America is a failure of leadership. And I mean, all around, not, you know, I'm not talking just about, you know, our president, or you know anyone in particular. Sure. I just feel that we have we're in a place where we've just haven't had good leadership in many walks of life for a while. I mean, what do you see makes a good leader? Just to begin with, like what what are some of the things sure. that makes a leader? And then where do you think that um, maybe at, at the bigger picture that we've seen this failure of leadership? So. In the book, and you touched on this a second ago, uh, my my whole idea is is leadership has nothing to do with your title, has nothing to do with your position, your status in the company. Uh, leadership is really about you as an individual and your ability to to um, to inspire. Uh, that's kind of my definition. Is is have, do you inspire those around you to do better? Do you, do you have that energy about you that people gravitate toward because you're doing good things? Um, and, and everybody does that. So you have that, that capacity and that capability as a human being to inspire those around you to do better and, and to in, improve your society, to improve your operations, your business. Uh, so that's, that's my target, my goal. Um, and uh, I believe in psychology. That was my degree. That's my background. So I, I believe wholeheartedly in the ability to use psychology in a positive way. Um, and yes, I, I agree that the it seems 
there's so much tension built up in our society today. And it's not just the U.S. I, I see it in the news in other countries as well. There's just a lot of, of polarization. We're being tugged in different directions. And everybody has this belief that that their idea is right. And we're shutting down our, our thought process to having these conversations where we can open up our mind and say, you know what? You have a different opinion than I do. That that I'm curious. Tell me about your opinion opinions and your ideas, I want to see it from your point of view. Um, and you know what? I might be wrong. So I, I think that's what's missing today is to have that open dialogue. We don't have to agree. In fact, it will make me better if we don't agree. Because if if we just surround ourselves, and I've seen this online too, if we only subscribe to those podcasts and those chat rooms and those bulletin boards that preach to my belief, then I, I ground myself into that one solid belief system and I can't see outside of it. So ideally moving forward, we have some inspiration, not only from, from our, our incoming president, because um, he can't do it by himself. That's not possible. It's not even feasible. Um, but we have some inspiration that trickles down into, into society at large. That's Yeah. But I, you just hit on something that I think is really important is I feel that this lack of leadership that we are seeing just across the board is because we are more siloed than we probably have right. ever been. Uh, there's more opportunities to be siloed. There's many reasons for that. Uh, I, I'm a, I talk about social media all the time, but then the coronavirus as well. So we kind of just dug in for the past year and see, so there's this more us versus them. And I think one of the things that makes a great leader, and you touch on this in your book, so I'd love to hear more. Uh, two things for me, two, two values for me that I think make a good leader and that I um, felt that I read into your book was curiosity, which you just kind of said, mm -hmm. hey, tell me more. And humility sure. to, to say, hey, I, I was wrong. Or, you know, or again, tell me more. And I think that we're, you know, I, I think that humility, often humility or vulnerability, you know, e either or, or both, um, is something that I, when I see a leader say, hey, I, I didn't know what I, I didn't know at the time. Like, to me, I'm like, whoa, right. that's, I mean, that, you, you've just won so many points yes. in my mind yeah. to show your leadership. And, and, and as a parent, this was what I got out of your book too, not just looking at, you know, taking what you were talking about and applying it to our leadership uh, in our country, but also as a mother, you know, I mean, I think to tell your kid, hey, I'm sorry. Like I shouldn't have said that or, Hey, I was wrong when I made right. that decision. I feel like that opens up a dialogue that where you actually get more respect. And yes, I agree uh, with you. So, yeah. So tell me more about like this kind of the, the, the vulnerability, the cure. Cause I don't think a lot of people, I think that pizza, a lot of people believe that to be a leader, you have to be uh, loud, aggressive, uh, you know, no holds barred. What in your sure. mind would make, what are some of the recipes, the ingredients? <laughs> what is the recipe? What it's, are the ingredients to, to good leadership? It's, that's a very long question. Mm. Um, and I'd say, uh, let's touch on, on some of those points. What worked for me, and, and it, it was never my intention. I never sought out and said, well, this is the, this is, this is how I'm going to define my leadership. Um, I, it, 
it, it was recognized upon me after the fact that, you know what, Wayne, you make yourself rather vulnerable um, in your leadership style. Those, those people that work with you are, you, you've exposed yourself to them and made yourself vulnerable. You've admitted to your own faults. Um, how do you expect them to look up to you? I'm like, well, I, I believe that they will look up to me. And I, I, as much as I look up to them, there's, there's no way that I can do this on my own. And we have to admit to that fact. Um, and many times at the, at the credit union, I would take a leap of faith and say, you know what, guys, we're going to try this. We're going we're gonna to do something new and we're going to try it out. Might not work. And if it doesn't work, you know, we'll, we'll shift gears and we'll try something else. But let's give this a shot. Let's, let's go in and, and, and try it out. Um, so that's that, that that curiosity. Let's see what we can do to make this make this credit union better. Let's improve this process, uh, whatever whatever the case might be. Uh, you have to be willing to reach outside of your comfort zone, engage those people that you've brought onto your team because you brought them on for a reason, um, and and continue to power forward. There was a transition um, in leadership. I I've worked for leaders in the past that were very, very stoic and, and very, uh, very reserved. And they gave the orders and you, and you followed those orders. And it, it created an admiration for sure that they, they obviously know what they're doing, but they never admitted to faults. Um, if I made a mistake, I was, I was pounded down pretty aggressively to, you know, why did you do that? And that's the mistake. And, and, and eventually you get to the point where you're afraid to take a chance and, and if you do make a mistake, heaven forbid, you're afraid to admit it. So my goal was always, you know what? If you make a mistake, come tell me. Don't suffer in silence. Um, it's not going to go away. So come get me involved. I promise you, I will not ridicule you. Um, we're going we're gonna to identify where the failing happened and learn from it. I bet we both learned something from it. So bring me in that conversation. Those are my ideals. Um, I, I There's so much that goes into being an effective leader that you, I, there's no way that we can cover all those elements in, in one conversation. Well, let me ask you this. Um, so we've established, or, you know, you've established, I've established, you know, through you that one of your big things of leadership, which, you know, may be different or I wouldn't say novel, but I think something that most people don't usually put as an ingredient, the, the vulnerability and the curiosity of leadership. How do you balance that with some sort of authority or some sort of like hierarchy of power? And I don't mean that again, in that aggressive sense, but where people sure. appreciate the fact that you're vulnerable and curi curious, but they also know that you are the boss, right? And so I think people right. get confused and use aggression to show leadership versus this vulnerability? How do you balance right. those two? And what, you know, what could uh, a, an ideal leader do to balance that? We, there has to be a hierarchy. Um, it's, it's a, I believed in a rather democratic style of leadership, um, not to be confused with democracy, but a democratic style. So I, I will gather your input and give value to it. Um, and then at the end of the day, you, you've entrusted me to make the final decision. So I'm going to make the final decision um, and I'm going to be firm about it. If you don't follow the decision that ultimately I've made, there's going to be a consequence to it. So yes, the, I'm going to be firm, but I'm going to be fair. And ultimately uh, we, we build a common trust and a common bond so that you follow instruction.
because uh, there, yes, there, there are consequences if you don't follow those final instructions. So talk to me, that was one part where I got hung up a little bit in with your book, because I, I absolutely agree with that kind of the positive feedback, the vulnerability, but say you just have a bully, you know, someone who is just, I right. mean, they, they refuse to take instruction. They refuse to see you as the boss, whether you, I mean, you could try all kinds of tactics with them. You could be kind of the more firm hand. You could be the, you know, the sure. more vulnerable person. Uh, and what, I mean, where does kind of punishment or that more hard hand fit into, to leadership? So if, if you, the short of it is that person doesn't belong in, in this organization and they need to be excused. So if, if we have somebody on, on staff or, or in, in our circle, uh, you know, our, our friendship circle, uh, and, and we can be leaders to our friends and inspire our friends um, and do good things. So if, if we have somebody who continues to push against it um, in a negative fashion and they just don't follow, follow the, the guidelines that are in place, um, if, if I wrote about this in the book, I had two employees that had struggles with one another working together and they just couldn't get past it. And ultimately they made it my problem to solve. And, and they knew up front. I said, look, if you ever tell me to make the decision, it's him or me, you've made the decision for me because you just surrendered. Um, and I had one employee call me on it. He said, you know what, either you fire him or I'm walking out the door. I said, all right, well, today's your last day. And thanks for giving, thanks for making that choice clear. Um, so it's, it, it wasn't a good fit. Um, and, and we've probably all worked at a place where it, it, maybe it just wasn't a good fit and, and it rubs you the wrong way. You don't enjoy what you're doing and it shows, it carries out into everything that, that, that you do. Um, so you know what, I'm going to help you move on to the next step, onto on the next step in your career path. And that's okay. Um, and hopefully the next thing that you find is, is worthwhile. Well, that brings me to another question. So with leadership, <clears throat> do you feel like it is more top down or bottom up? Oh, the, it was described to me two years ago, maybe um, that whole CEO pyramid mm -hmm. to the bottom. Um, mm -hmm. Let's shift it sideways um, and let's look at it left to right. That would be my ideal. So you've got the CEO of the organization here on yeah. an equal parallel to all other employees. And we all just kind of spread out. We all, we all have a responsibility here. Mine's just defined differently from yours, but that doesn't make one more important than the other. Um, we had this, my play back at the credit union was the idea, let's build a structure, a teamwork that no one that walks in can identify who the boss is because we're all equal partners here. So that, that's my, my goal. That's my, my end position is that yes, we all respect each other, and we've all said, you know what, Jen, you're you're the boss, and we're going to follow your instructions. I hope you take my input and and make your decision accordingly. But I trust you to make the right call. I really like um, that idea. I like that idea of, of lateral the triangle on the side because you still have hierarchy. Right. It's almost like it's almost like a, a yeah a democratic hierarchy. Would that be? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> versus an authoritarian hierarchy. But I wonder President though, Kennedy's leadership yeah. was described as a, as a spoke on a wheel. 
um, uh -huh. where he, he took input from all sides and he was very slow to shut any anything down. He wanted to take all the information that he could until it was time to make the final decision. So he was he was the center of that spoke um, or center of the wheel. And, center the of the wheel. And then there's all this. Oh, I like right. that one, too. That's another good one. I see. I, I, I think I like that better than the, the sideways triangle, because yeah. I feel like yeah. you still are the center, but you need all these other parts to function. You're surrounded you're by your team. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay, this might be a, a, a tough question I'm throwing out with you, but if you were to look at, um, let's let's look at leadership today. Let's look at a couple of presidents and 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 make those kind of analogies because that's kind of fun. So, let's look at Trump. I, I use I use Trump in the book um, that autocratic I, style of leadership. Uh huh. So he's a triangle. Um. Well, he he's he kind of floats on his own. Um, <laughs> and he and it's not good or bad i mean at at points in my career probably i will ch choose to adopt an autocratic style given a certain situation um so let's let's go ahead and yeah. put that out there so this isn't i'm not i'm not passing judgment but and give me an example his style too yeah go ahead sorry, so his sorry. style is that he does not necessarily take the advice of others. He doesn't take into consideration the points of view of others. Mm -hmm. He's he's the, the CEO of the business. We call that business the United States. And he instructs and delegates instructions out. And he expects his team to follow it. Um, and if they don't follow those instructions, they're gone. So there is there is no debate. There is no conversation here. I know best. This is, this is what I need you to do. Um, so that's, to me, that's President Trump. That's his autocratic style of leadership. And you had just um, said that there's times though that that's necessary. Give me, give me an example, if you can, of like when, when you could use that type of leadership. Under what circumstances would that work? Um, in in a higher in in a as the organization grows and develops and becomes a a bigger entity, um, I think that autocratic style starts to become necessary. Uh, so you're, you're going to instruct your, your next level of leaders to follow your instructions. And then they adopt a more democratic style with their teams to get feedback and say, okay, guys, this is our instructions. This is what we need to do. And let's work as a team to make that happen. So mm -hmm. I, I think perhaps as an organization develops into a higher structure that might become more necessary. Um, if you look at military, the military function is autocratic in nature. You follow the chain of command and that mm -hmm. that's necessary given those high stress situations. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't we don't have time for somebody on the front line to second guess or to, to worry about making the right call. Nope, you follow the chain of command. Uh, right. So it becomes necessary. Right. And I guess that's, that's a really interesting point. So I guess, cause I really am liking the wheel analogy. Like for me, that kind of, <laughs> I really just touched on that for, for, for true leadership, but even in the, in a military situation, I mean, you can't like, there's times that you need to, to make very quick decisions and you can't be that center hub trying to get every point right. of view. Right. So yeah. that makes, there's sense. no time for a huddle. There's no time for a huddle. Oh, I like that. There's no time for a huddle. That's true. That's true. And so what are some other like leadership styles that you've seen that you can maybe apply to um, political pe personages? So 
I've got notes over here. You'll see me. You'll see my eyes darting <laughs> across. Uh, so outside, we talked about autocratic style and the autocratic style, um, and that's in the book. That's really where I use presidents as my example. Um, after that, under the democratic style, there's this this idea in in some of the leadership literature um, called holacracy, where you have individual teams mm-hmm. that are in it. These teams are designing and developing and, and whatever the function is. And the leader is really kind of a, in a servant role. So that's, that's that servant leadership where I give you everything that you need in order to succeed. And that ultimately does well for the organization. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of falls in the democratic style of leadership. And you um, called that holacracy. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that too. Um, I like that servant leadership. That's cool. Okay. Yep. We saw that a lot. If you, if you go back, you remember Zappos, the online shoe retailer? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They, they were ultimately sold to Amazon, but the CEO of Zappos, I understand it in the deal to, to sell to Amazon, they had to keep Zappos as kind of an independent group. Uh, so mm-hmm. that they could maintain their identity and their culture, because it was it was very uh, holocratic, mm-hmm. where you have the individual teams and creativity was in, was expired. So, in the call center where the staff worked, they were allowed to decorate their cubicles. And if you look at a picture of what the what the the I guess the sales floor, the the, the cube farm for Zappos, you'll see some pretty wild things in those cubicles because people were encouraged to design their own space. Uh, it's pretty neat. So holacracy works in certain environments. I, I don't think that would work in like like a bank uh, necessarily or a credit union because that, that would be, uh, control might be lost. Certainly wouldn't work in the United States. Uh, control <laughs> would be lost. Um, <laughs> So then you've got kind of that strategic leader where I'm here to design the strategy. This is where we need to be. This is what to do to get there. And, and I'm going to set you on your path. Um, Steve jobs was a very strategic leader. He saw the big picture and Mm -hmm. introduced some pretty amazing things and helped Apple to relaunch it and its brand. Um, So that, that's my, my, example of a strategic leader that view from 30,000 feet mm-hmm. is is the way we look at that mm-hmm. uh, there's no way for you to get involved in the day-to-day you just can't that's too much to absorb um that then, one's i was just uh, gonna say that book. one's hard though you know strategic leadership because it's like if it's your baby to like that that right. that that requires a lot a building of a, an organization where there's a lot of trust and so let's let's bring that to the United States, right? Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be great if our president was a strategic leader and mm-hmm. he he or she designs the path and so okay, this is where we need to be, everyone. Um, what are we going to do to get there? And so mm-hmm. the the president has the next rung. So the president has his cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, the cabinet. Uh, I, I don't know. We draw the connections, right? So the president ideally talks to the governors, talks to the mayors, talks to the to the city councils, and and little by little, we've got this great motivation. So uh, the president might not necessarily motivate me personally because I don't have direct contact with that individual, but mm-hmm. 
strategically, they have a path for us and they know what it's going to take to get there. So it, it trickles down all the way to my neighborhood where we're empowered and we're motivated and we're seeing good things happening in Washington, D.C. And we follow suit uh, because mm -hmm. we we see where we're going. We see what the path is. Mm -hmm. um, and that and, requires and, a plan. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. requires a plan, a strategy. A strategy, hence strategic leadership. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we could go on, um, but, but you get the idea. Um, the, I, I think if I was, if I was fortunate enough to sit down with, with president Biden and, and Ms. Harris and come up with a plan for the United States, wouldn't that be great if they, if I got to have a voice in that, um, <laughs> But I well, think what, would what I would like what to would see you say? Is, yeah, exactly. What would you what would you say? What would you see? What would to you would be the ideal leadership and for what we need right now? We let's let's listen to all sides. Um, and I I think that's important um, in a conversation that you and I had previously. We had talked about that idea of the presidential fireside chat. Um, and that resonates with me. I still think about that. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be great if we could just have the president in front of the television giving a congregating talk? Yeah. Um, I think if you think about presidents that had the ability to talk to people, comfort the people, President Reagan is first on my mind. That's really the president I grew up with. Um, so he's the one that comes to mind as as a great public speaker and mm -hmm. could could resonate with the with the american people regardless of your party regardless of your political affiliation mm -hmm. you could listen to him and understand what his direction was uh, obama i think was was another powerful public speaker mm -hmm. um, i think he he was able to give a good conversation and to help put me at ease when things were rough so mm -hmm. i i would hope the same with president biden that he finds time to have a conversation with the american people Mm -hmm. And help us to see, okay, you know what, guys, we've had a rough couple of years. Uh, this this is our path moving forward. I mm -hmm. want your input. I value your input. I'm going to talk to the the governors, the mayors, um, and I, then I want to see that he actually does. and invite folks to come to the White House and have these these powwows where we right. have conversations with one another. Right. And honestly, that would be actually novel because despite uh Obama being a fantastic orator he mm. didn't often cross the aisle and have those conversations you know and then I don't I don't think he walked to the senate to have those conversations right and then Trump obviously we know the way he communicates which is you know through through Twitter and it's very it's not a it's not a genuine you know, heartfelt conversation. Right. So, I mean, actually that would, I mean, if Biden were to do that and I love, you know, I love fireside chats. I mean, here's what I'm <laughs> thinking, you know, and I never want to be president, you know, heaven forbid, but <laughs> what I love about that is like, whatever the issue of the week is, you have people from various sides asking you, well, how to, and, and making you see it, you being the public, making the public see it right. and making it real. Like, this is why we made this policy decision here. Here was what was on our plate. 
here were the uh, the um, limitations that we had because we don't often give people the credit for actually thinking through these really difficult problems. And if we knew what the difficulties were, well, you don't what you're not seeing, you know, on the inside is that you know there's if we do this, this happens. If we do that, this happens. And where's where's the compromise among that? And so I just feel like we if we were to have that fireside chat, if you will, will, I mean, you're still going to have haters. You're always going to have haters, no matter what. Sure. But then I would just open up that honesty and that trust within the public that I think has completely been lost. I think we've completely lost trust. We've lost trust in so many institutions. We've lost trust in our media. We've lost trust in our presidency. You know, we've just, and it's that matter of trust. And I think that conversation, yeah. while you may still disagree, conversation still brings back that element of, of trust that I think would be, that we've, we've very much lost. But um, before I go too far down that line, I want to tell you, speaking of trust, I want to tell you a story about Reagan, where I know there's a lot, you know, he was a contentious president, but I loved him. And I have one story why, and it really had nothing to do with his leadership. Cause I was too young to like really recognize who he was as a leader. Although I like, you know, I mean, I still dig his, but my father, when he retired from the Air Force, he was a, one of the flight plan people for the first um, like glider aircraft that flew around the world nonstop. Oh, sweet! Yeah, and I think uh, I might. I don't want to speak. I like. I think it was like Chuck Yeager's daughter or something was the one who like some someone big in the aeronautics field was like flying. Is the one who flew it around the world, and so. Um, Ronald Reagan, Reagan once the, the, the flight was done, Ronald Reagan came and he uh, he came to speak to all the people who were involved in this project. And so I'll never forget my mom, you put me in my, you know, leather shoes and they were too tight and <laughs> a starch dress and whatnot, because I got to sit, you know, a few rows back from Ronald wow. Reagan, you know. That's and amazing. I'm some this young kid. But one thing he said will never leave my mind. And it goes back to this idea of vulnerability. He goes, who am I as someone who is a former actor to stand in front of these men and women who actually did something heroic and to give a speech to them? And I remember yeah. going, holy crap, that's our president. <laughs> our president is saying, who am I? And so going back right. to that idea, and maybe it's just me and maybe, you know, our personalities are different and different personalities like different things. But to me, that is where I was just like, I, I love this man because I appreciated him in a place of authority saying, if it wasn't for y'all, where would we be right. giving people that, that credit, right. but obviously recognition, still, humble. Mm -hmm. And so um, I guess that's what I, I don't necessarily want to go back to Reagan per se, you know, I mean, we're in a different world, different stresses, but right. just to have someone who has that ability to communicate both through like kind of the fireside chat, but that humility and, um, and yet still maintain that leadership. Right. Every company I've ever worked for or within, or, or even in the leadership coaching, the, the number one problem that I identify is communication. Um, it doesn't matter how small or how big the organization is. Communication is always a challenge. And, and you touched on this, is that, that, that communication style and how you communicate with one another. And the putting it out in a tweet, um, 
you're expecting everyone who reads that tweet to be in the same frame of mind as you are when you wrote it. And that's not possible. Uh, we, we infer emotion when we read something. You put something in all caps, well, they're yelling at me. So we don't, we don't know how to take that. So I, I think emails, <clears throat> tweets, uh, it's not, it's, it can't be used as a coaching mechanism. We have to have an actual face-to-face -face conversation where you can hear my inflection, you can see my emotions, yeah. and let's, yeah. So communication is, is absolutely imperative. So basically, in some ways, we would be better off if we almost went analog. You know, we just went back to. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, just back to the basics. Like, right. have a conversation. And at the presidential level, again, a fireside chat. I mean, obviously, you can't have a conversation with everyone. You know, maybe Biden will come on, hold my drink. We'll wonder what he's drinking. But um, wouldn't that know, be neat? Wouldn't that be neat? But you can't. Have, but that fire. I wonder what he drinks. I don't know. We know what Elizabeth Warren drinks. <laughs> Do you remember her having her beer? Oh, you don't remember I that? Don't. Oh, <laughs> that was her. That was her attempt to connect to the people um, by wow. having a a, a social media a, a beer. So, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I won't go down any more <laughs> political rabbit holes. Um, yeah. So, all right. I am speaking of drinking. I've got a sip left. Tell me what you see in the incoming president or leadership in general that you are excited about and that concerns you. Um, I'm excited to have somebody in the White House that cares about what other people think. Um, and ideally, I would love to see a White House staff that sticks around for more than six months. Uh, I think we need some stability in the White House. We need some st stability in our nation's leadership. Uh, we need quality, qualified folks to take an interest in their role and not be afraid to speak their mind. So that's that's what I'm hopeful for. That's what I think will happen. I am optimistic. Um, what I'm fearful of, I guess, is changing. Um, that's, that's always scary. Um, at a time where there's so much in flux right now, we've, we've, we are still struggling through COVID. We're still going to need some direction there. Um, I think there was a lot of fear, in, and we saw that in the election results as well, is that there's, there's fear. There's so much in flux right now to change leadership, to change paths uh, might be seen as, as a risk. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go ahead and take that risk. Yeah. And the, yeah. and the country's polarized. We're still we're still polarized today. Again, we saw that in in the data and the results that came from the election. So I think Biden's got his hands full. Yep, yep. Fireside chats. That's the answer. Hmm. Yeah, that will solve all our problems. <laughs> it will solve all of our problems. <laughs> all right, Wayne. Well, thank you so much for having a drink for me with me. And um, I feel like I've got Pleasure. some better ideas on how, how to be a leader now. I mean, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. To, it's, it's hard. I don't think, yes. I don't think, I don't I, think, I don't think you're, you might be born a leader, but it takes work and skill. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, patience. Uh, patience. You have to have patience and understanding is, is vital to being a quality leader. Yeah. Yeah. And as my family will attest, um, God didn't, dole out a lot of patience um, when, yeah, but I'm working on it. <laughs>
I'm working on it. <laughs> Make up for it with charm. <laughs> I tried that too. I don't know if I, if I got much of that either. <laughs> All right, Wayne, we'll have a good evening. Thanks again. Thanks for inviting me on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say Hold My Drink and the conversation gets real.